illegal aliens have been released into our communities. 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. News, analysis, and opinion. It's the Elijah Har Show on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Welcome back to KWTO. You know, last month we had a conversation about the benefit about about large scale utility solar farms. It's sort of this hot new thing, especially in the rural areas. It, it, farmers have found ways they can build some economic benefit into their land. Joining us now, professor from Missouri State University, David Mitchell. Professor, welcome to the show. Hi, how you doing? Good morning. I'm good. Hey, my understanding is recently you did a pretty large economic analysis of the benefits of these utility-scale solar farms. Talk to us about, about what you did. Yeah, so it was uh, basically an economic impact study. And what an economic impact study does is that it says, okay, let's look at two different states of the world. One world uh, where uh, we don't have whatever this project is and the other world where we do have this project, right? So this could be building a stadium, um, having, uh, you know, changing uh, education requirements for your high schools, or it could be whatever. And that's just one of the things that economists do. So what we did on this is we said, okay, what would be the economic impact to the state of Missouri if we had some new solar farms or some new uh, wind farms producing power within the state? And that's essentially what it does. And there's some modeling that goes behind it uh, into how economic activity occurs. And um, and then, you know, you plug in the numbers and you, you come up with the results and say, okay, if we build solar and and wind farms, we're going to have X number of effects. And if we don't, then, you know, we lose out on those economic impacts. I got to ask, how does one even, this is something that, that it's almost like Greek to most people. How do you, how does one set up these statistical models? So what, yeah, it's, that's a great question. Um, what you do with these things, they're really, um, it's called basically an input output analysis. So, for example, when you go to the store and you buy something, especially if you're a farmer, let's assume you're a farmer and you go to the to the seed store and you pick up uh, a lot of seed uh, for corn, right? Well, somebody has to provide that seed. Somebody has to um, help repair your truck. You've got farm equipment that has to be repaired um, and replaced and purchased and everything else like that. So, when you're you know you're you're doing these things, then you are buying inputs, seed, fertilizer, you know, pesticides, things like that to help you produce some output, right? And so if you're, a, you're growing corn, your output is corn, but your output, that corn is now an input to somebody else, right? So uh, let's assume that um, a, a food conglomerate, they take your corn, they use it to, uh, they can can it, right? As canned corn, you go to the store, you can uh, use it to turn into types of syrups and all that other kinds of things. The restaurant then takes that corn uh, that they got from the conglomerate, so that was your corn was the input or the, the input for the conglomerate, which is their output. The restaurant takes that, uses that, and then they serve that to you in the meal. 
So you're doing some basic economic activities. You're going to a restaurant. You're going to the movies. You're getting your hair cut. You're having somebody come in and put in new kitchen cabinets. And all of these things require inputs and, and in the production of this, uh, this output, or whatever it is that you're doing. And the modeling says, okay, we need to have a pretty good understanding of this uh, input-output modeling. You know, how are these, all of these industries related? And then you say, okay, let's change this industry in this way. So if we do that, then we're going to have increased demands here. We'll have decreased demands over here, and that's going to change how people work here or how much they'll get paid and wages and things like that. So the models are they're, they're fairly complicated to, to set up. Um, but once you get them set up uh, for the project that you want to do, then getting the result for the answer is, is fairly straightforward. So what we what we come up with on these solar farms? What's the what's the economic benefit? So the economic impacts, you know, pretty uh, substantial. You know, so when you're looking, and at, I should ask you. Um, the the benefit to who the individual or to the state or or where who's who's getting the most utility out of this? Well, it's 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 both, right? So the modeling uh, that we did was in, in basically two different forms. Where you're looking at this in terms of what's the economic impact for the whole state as a whole. And so, for example, you've got the construction of a, a solar plant, right? Somebody's got to the land's got to be cleared. You've got to put in some concrete footings. You've got to purchase the panel. Somebody has to come in. Electricians come in and wire everything up. Same thing here for a wind turbine, right? You've got to build some roads to get to the turbines. You have some concrete footings. You actually build the turbines themselves. Somebody comes out and does the servicing. And so you have some economic impact here from both the production of these solar farms and wind farms and from the operations of them. And, you know, once these things get set up, they're, the, the operations is, the, the economic impact can be large, but it's fairly straightforward, you know, lasts for a long period of time that doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't need a, a ton of maintenance like you would have, say, with a coal or a nuclear-powered plant. But, so, for example, if you wanted to build a, a new solar plant in Missouri, you'd have about 664 new jobs kind of created within the state, right? You know, these people would earn maybe about $46 million in wages. And in essence, what you're saying is that, okay, when we want to build this plant, you know, you have to have concrete footings. Okay, well, now you have to go to the local concrete uh, company and say, hey, we need concrete. You know, so they have, oh, there's an increased demand for concrete. Oh, there's an increased demand for electrical wiring. And all of these things uh, grow upon themselves. Right? And so now, for example, the, the workers at the concrete plant now have um, additional wages. So they go out and they spend those wages and they go to the movies and they spend it at restaurants, et cetera, which. Yeah, this is also, the old, this is like all the, the, the shop local thing. You shop local, your dollar gets regurgitated in the local market, right? It, exactly. I mean, to a, to a large degree, that's exactly what it is. And that's one of the advantages of this stuff, right? Because if we're buying our power from a uh, plant, a nuclear plant or a coal-fired plant that's outside of the state of Missouri or from some other state, then those dollars are going over there. And these are dollars that are staying here, right? And one of the other advantages of this, of course, is that these dollars are staying uh, in a more of a a rural environment too, right? Because you're not going to clear, you know, a a hundred acres in, 
downtown Kansas City to put up solar panels. That's not going to happen. But you can do it in rural parts of Missouri, especially if they're being underutilized, especially if it's just growing scrub or uh, some hay, or even if it's not even being used for anything. It's just it's just sitting there as, as empty land. So that's where you can kind of get these economic impacts. Like I said, they can be you know fairly substantial. So we said you know the solar plant was 665 new jobs to, to build, whereas opposed to the uh, wind farm, you know, it's almost a thousand jobs that are created, you know, about $67 million in additional wages for the state. And that's just for the construction part, right? And then when you're done with construction, you have essentially the operations and the operations are a little bit smaller because it takes less maintenance. But so for our, our solar, our, our wind farm here, you're looking at about 33 new jobs created every year, about almost $2 million in wages. And for our solar plant, about $1.1 million in wages, about 14 new jobs. Cause it's basically, you know, there's a whole lot less maintenance on the, on the solar than on the, on the wind. How, what, what are the states in the country that you, you look at and you're like, this is the model they've, they figured out the way to generate the most value out of, out of these types of solar farms. So what we did in the study is, uh, we looked at other solar farms and wind farms throughout the country and kind of basically looked at an aggregate of how large are they, what kind of, um, how much electricity they're generating, you know, uh, and then we used some GIS, geographic information systems modeling to say, okay, what are the locations in the state of Missouri that are going to be uh, generating lots of power from wind, lots of power from solar, and, um, okay, based upon those conditions, now where is a feasible place for those farms to go? Um, and that's essentially kind of what we did. So you're looking at all these other different aspects. Okay, if you want to have a, a decent amount of wind, you need, you know, X number of wind farms. Where can they go? Well, in Missouri, typically the northern third of the state. Pretty good for wind. Uh, solar, obviously, you want to be farther south. So we could, you know, you can put solar in the northern part of the state, but you get a little bit more electricity from it if it's in the southern part of the state, uh, for the most part. Um, and then, like I said, I mean, you model that based upon other existing wind and solar farms to say, okay, how much power are we going to be generating? What kind of uh, monies are paid to farmers and, um, you know, landowners, et cetera. How how did how does how long does something like this take to even create? This, this sounds extraordinarily involved. The the study or the or the, the, study. Uh, the, the study yeah the, the study takes it's a lot it's a lot of work. I mean, and I, this is one of the things I I you know you'll read you'll read studies and I you know well, who was it Twain who's like oh there's there's lies damn lies and statistics studies to me I, I'm always blown away because you see them all the time. And then when you actually find out the amount of work and t- dedication it takes to create them, I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing. It is. I mean, this is something I think, uh, I think we've been working on this in almost a year, I think something of that nature. I mean, it's, it's, it's been quite a while. They're, they're actually quite involved and quite, um, they're a lot of work. I, I always go by, cause I mean, you are correct. I mean, you can manipulate numbers. Um, and I always operate on the assumption that everything that I do is above board. Um, I have the most realistic assumptions, right? I mean, let's, so let's face reality, right? I mean, like I said, I'm with the solar. I mean, 
some people might say, oh, we could put the solar farm in, in downtown St. Louis. I mean, that's just not realistic. That's not going to happen. Or um, putting uh, the wind farms in the southeast corner of the state, right? There's, there's not a lot of wind coming into the southeast corner of the state. That's, that's really not a lot of, that's not a very realistic assumption. Um, so I try to do things when I conduct studies. I say, I want this to reflect reality as much as possible. You know, let's keep the number of uh, what in the economics we would call simplifying assumptions. Let's keep the number of simplifying assumptions as small as possible. Let's keep the models as realistic as possible. And if that makes them more complicated, then that's fine. But it gives us um, a much better idea of the actual true economic impact of, of what we're doing here so that policymakers can look at this and say, okay, this is a legitimate study. It's not just made up. And uh, that's, that's typically the way I try to operate on, on my studies. So, yeah, they're, they're quite involved. That's amazing. Uh, Professor Mitchell, you know, we've been talking about these, these farms. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where, where, where you, where, where you uh, teach at and how you, how you end up doing these types, of, uh, these types of studies. So I went to, I got my bachelor's. I'm actually from Texas, grew up in Texas. Uh, my dad was a pastor, so we moved around a lot. Uh, PKs are the best. Search. Yeah, exactly. Went to uh, Truman State, um, uh, kind of on a lark, was at Southwest Baptist University for my, my first year of college, and then went to Truman State. Uh, went to Central University of Central Missouri for my master's, and then to Oklahoma State for my, my PhD. The, uh, the, the studies that I find, I, you know, growing up, I always found it interesting, and like, you know, why are some parts of the world more developed than others? You know, why is, you know, because I, I grew up with, you know, you got communism versus capitalism and, uh, you know, the, the third world. And why is, why do we have all this uneven economic development? Why are things the way that they are? This is what got me interested in economics. And, you know, I, I got into these, uh, the, the studies of, uh, the, the research that I do is, is involved in that kind of stuff. It's involved in, um, you know, uh, I, I did my research in, in uh, water quality, you know, from, from uh, farms, from chicken farms, which is what I did my dissertation in. Um, so I've, I've researched a whole bunch of different things, and the studies themselves I find are very practical. So I've got kind of like what I would call my theoretical research, and I have my practical research. And the practical research are things like these studies or studies that I've done on, you know, the economic impact of, of uh, if we the state was to expand Medicaid or Medicare, you know, change the way they do for long-term health care, et cetera, or for this or for that or for the other, or education or whatever. I find those studies really interesting because they're very practical. The ones that I do that are more theoretical, this stuff, like I said, is involved in things like housing prices, um, you know, why do some houses sell for more than others? Why do people locate where they are? Why do some cities go faster than others? Um, and so these are the types of questions that I ask myself on a, on a kind of a theoretical basis. Uh, Professor Mitchell, as we do every day, we finish up with two questions. First is our question of the day. Question of the day on the show every day, different question. Everybody has to answer the question. Question of the day today, what's your number one tip for public speaking? <laughs> oh, I mean, I, i'm telling you we, we need to change the question today to just the kickoff it because it, it's, it, it's always a fun one it's it's practice um you know and then be 
you know, become familiar with what it is that you're, you're doing. Uh, I do a lot of public speaking. I've spoken to the Federal Reserve. I've spoken to uh, Rotary Clubs. And, I mean, I actually enjoy public speaking. I, I really enjoy it. And um, I was a really shy kid growing up, so the fact that I get up in front of people and talk is, uh, is actually quite interesting. Um, but yeah, it, it comes down to practice. You got to practice. So I, you know, when I was younger, I'd practice in front of the mirror, like they say to do. And the more that you do it, the better you get at it. So the more public speaking that you do, the better you get at public speaking. It's like anything else in life. You, you got to practice it to get good at it. Uh, final, finally, if anybody wants to know more about the research that you do, how do they find out more information? So the best way to do is just to get a hold of me, send me an email, and that's at David Mitchell, and there's just there's two L's in Mitchell, and it's just a common spelling for all of that at Missouri State, and Missouri State's all spelled out. It's all one word, .edu. Um, you know, you can uh, contact uh, Missouri State University, the, the uh, public relations department, and say, hey, I'm interested in talking to Dr. Mitchell. Can you, you know, give me his contact information? And they can do that as well, too. Very good, Professor Mitchell. Thanks so much to, uh, for, for joining us today. We appreciate it. Okay, thanks a lot. Have a great day. You too. That was Professor David Mitchell. We got more to come. Stick around. To take off and land so you hold my hand And there's a man next to you with a killer view of New York And somehow you managed to get me talking too much Yeah, there's a rhythm 